Hello and welcome to Frontiers, a podcast that gets intimate with cultural pioneers and business innovators to hear their inspiring stories. Brought to you by The Upside Innovation Studio. In this episode, Jamie Morton describes his journey of creating cult podcast, My Dad Wrote a Porno. We explore the art of bootstrapping a creative idea and transforming it into a global phenomenon, all while navigating the evolving podcast industry. I'm Jamie Morton. I uh, created and host a podcast called My Dad Wrote a Porno, uh, which has kind of taken me on a weird journey of self-discovery and discovery of my father and my and my friends. Uh, so my dad, when he retired, he decided to start writing pornography in the garden shed. A very odd pastime, but one that he was really excited about. And um, he'd written maybe like four books of erotica and sent them to me to critique or to, I, don't, I think maybe just play with my mind. Um, but I read them, found them hilarious and started reading to everyone that I met in my life. Two of whom were my two best friends, James and Alice, and we decided to make a podcast about my dad's books, basically, because they are the worst books ever written. And it resulted in my dad wrote a porno. So it was an interesting process between me reading these books initially and then making the podcast. But what really made that workable was Alice and James, my two friends. They really were like, you can't just sit on this stuff. It's too funny. It's just comedy gold. And so the three of us started talking about what we could do with it. And we thought about doing a web series. We thought about doing other things with it. But we thought a podcast was just the perfect medium to tell this particular story because it was quite racy you know you don't want to see any of this stuff it's disgusting Um, and we thought people can listen to it on their headphones no one needs to know what they're listening to a bit like how 50 shades of grey became popular as an ebook we thought well you know maybe we can be an underground hit that no one really knows what you're consuming on the tube or the train or whatever Um, and so once we kind of decided what we're going to do in terms of a podcast the format really happened pretty organically I just started reading and they would just chip in with their commentary and it and it very quickly felt like a fully formed show um, so we recorded one pilot episode in the view of actually re-recording it and making it a little bit more polished but we realised there was such a an authentic tone that we captured in that one recording that that became episode one and then we just kind of continued recording it in that same way in our kitchen microphones on cookery books and it felt really like we were making something that felt genuine and real and I think that's why people really responded to the show. Um, the growth of the show was really interesting for us because it was 2015 and people weren't really making podcasts, particularly in the UK. It felt like a real kind of wasteland of that. Serial had just happened, so that had kind of reignited the interest in podcasting generally. Um, but I remember when we when we released the first episode, it it kind of got to number 90-something on the podcast chart. And we were like, oh, cool, but... I remember texting James being like, maybe there's just like a hundred podcasts in the UK. Like, I didn't even think that that was a kind of, you know, benchmark of success. It was, it was so new and there was so many unanswered questions about what we were even doing. Uh, but it just, within the first week, it just 
kept rising up the chart and we were like what the hell is going on uh and it got to maybe like number five or six and we were like this is this is mad so it was a kind of instantaneous thing in that it kind of hit and immediately found an audience which i think to be fair a lot of that is down to the clickbait title which was a deliberate choice from us you know we wanted to make something that was going to really stand out um and podcasting then and i think i still think now has a kind of word of mouth element that people really get quite evangelical about their podcasts and are really keen to share what they're listening to with their friends and i think that that kind of word of mouth really helped our show grow and then after episode three came out elijah wood tweeted about it which kind of then made the show exponentially bigger because you know Frodo was listening and people in America were listening and suddenly a lot of articles were being written about it and the story of me and my dad became something that people wanted to to kind of delve into and and then the show kind of just flew from there really you know we didn't want to find the tone of the show or find our way as the show was going on, we really thought that it was important to kind of hit the ground running and and have a show that was really well defined and was my dad wrote a porno from 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 the word go. The first time we recorded anything ended up being episode one of my dad wrote a porno, which is crazy. And, and actually, when we first recorded it, and I remember editing it and just thinking immediately, this is kind of good. Kind of that that feeling of oh, this could maybe be good, not in an arrogant way, but just. I've made so many things that are terrible that you kind of <laughs> understand quite quickly if it's something that you think has legs. And I remember James and I were flying to Budapest, weirdly. I remember this so clearly. And I just edited it and we were in the airport having breakfast at like 6am. And I was so excited for him to listen to the edit. And I was like, listen to it now. And he was like, we're having breakfast. Listen to it on the plane. I was like, no, no, no listen to it now. And I thought... If I'm this eager to let him hear it, I think subconsciously I must know that it's that it's really good. We never let the and still don't let the success of the show dictate how we make it. You know, I think that's actually one of the reasons why it's successful. I think we we we've never really referenced the world around the show in in the show, if that makes sense. We we kind of still are three friends sat around the kitchen table making a show because we want to make each other laugh. It's not about an audience particularly you know we never really think of an audience in terms of oh what would they want to hear or, or what are they expecting we just read the books and just be as genuine with each other as we can it's been really interesting working with my friends i mean actually james alice and i have always worked on stuff together we met at university and we worked in the student tv station because we were massive geeks um and we all did different courses and we met through making student tv so we always had a kind of shorthand together in terms of making stuff but this was the first thing that we embarked upon that we really felt had legs because you know we made a web series a few years before my dad wrote a porno that that was that was great and we were really proud of but didn't really quite work and this was the first thing that we thought could actually kind of break through in a way that we wanted it to um so working with them has been really interesting but what's been great is that because we had 10 15 years of kind of not only being friends but also working together in a semi-professional context we understood each other in a way that was really beneficial to making something. There is a very clear line between when we're working and when we're not. And I think that sort of relationship takes a long time to to kind of 
cultivate. But luckily, we had that time to to find the best way that we could work together. And by the time the podcast came around, we'd kind of nailed that. And and we all kind of have the same sensibilities in terms of what we're making, uh, which really helps. The listeners are incredible. Uh, we we call them the Bel- well, actually, they call themselves the Belinkers. Actually, I don't know who coined that, but that's kind of become their moniker, which is lovely because it means that they feel like they're a real community, and and it's really nice kind of going online and seeing them communicate with each other. And there's there's Reddit forums and hashtag Porno Day trends every Monday when we get an episode out, and they all they all chat to each other, and they're all very supportive of, of each other as a community, which has been something that's been really nice to see, even though we don't really have a hand in that um and we had dame emma thompson on the show you know she met my dad at the royal albert hall and they were chatting in the royal box and the fact that emma thompson with you know two oscars wants to talk to my dad is so surreal and when she invited us around for dinner all she wanted to do was talk about dad and talk about my mum and dad's relationship and it, it, it's just so nice you see such a different side to people when they come on my dad wrote a porno because they're only there because they love the books which is why everyone listens to my dad wrote a porno so it isn't like they're a celebrity interview it's just like hearing a fan of the show talk about something that they love My mum didn't know that my dad was writing porn in the garden shed. Uh, She found out when he told me that he was doing it. (laughs) Because I immediately outed him to the whole family, which is probably kind of cruel, but I thought they should know. (laughs) They should really know what he was getting up to. I've asked my dad why he wrote these books. He's never given me a straight answer. I honestly think he was just bored. And he'd heard about E.L. James and 50 Colours of Grey, which is what he calls 50 Shades of Grey, which is ridiculous. Um, And I think he just heard that she made loads of money and he thought, well, if she can write, you know, bad porn... I can do it too. Turns out his porn is the worst porn. Um, and what's kind of kind of frustrating is that he's actually been proved right. He has become not as successful as E.L. James, obviously, but he's probably the number two porn writer in Britain, which is hilarious that uh, he can be that bad and be that successful. Just writes, doesn't read it back, just publishes it immediately. And there's something really kind of honest about that and uh, and he doesn't really care what anyone thinks which is kind of cool what's really interesting about my dad is that he um, he's been so supportive of this show and he is such a fan of My Dad Wrote a Porno which is hilarious because he loves to be ribbed you know he, he is the biggest wind up merchant himself and the fact that we're kind of taking the mickey out of him every week is something that he loves Um, And he's so, so supportive of it. But what I kind of respect the most about him is that he doesn't really care about the trappings of it. He is very much someone that's like, do you know what, that's great, but I wrote these books under a pseudonym, Rocky Flintstone, for a reason, mainly to hide from my mum, probably. My dad is as involved as me, James and Alice. We are four equal parties in this project, which is great. And it's good that we all have a different viewpoint and we kind of come together and we have our our business meetings when we come to decide what we want to do and um and they're always really fun because <laughs> dad's crazy and has a lot of ideas um but really great ideas and actually it's good to have different opinions being thrown around and 
And what's been really wonderful about this project is that we all kind of have a very similar ambition for it and none of us want to do things for the sake of doing them. It certainly changed my relationship with my dad in just brilliant ways, you know. I've kind of really got to know him a lot better. I spend a lot more time with him, which is really nice. You know, he's coming on tour with us in 2020, which I can't wait for. It's going to be really fun. And it's so nice to see him now in his 60s when all of that's done, for him to kind of think, do you know what, I'm just going to write some books and I don't care if they're bad or if they're good. And and for what's happened to have happened is so great because now he's got a whole other career and he's... He's kind of learning about so many different things and he's you know, he's an executive producer on HBO. I mean, for a builder from Northern Ireland, that's pretty cool. Um, so it's been really nice to share all of that with him. Yeah. The world of podcasting has completely changed since I started My Dad Wrote a Porno in 2015, um, which is a great thing. It's, it's, it's really grown as a medium. Podcasting was really underground. and I mean, I remember saying to people that I was doing a podcast and they were like, what's a podcast? How do I get it? The amount of people that had to show where the podcast app was on their phone and they didn't even realize they had it. Um, and now it feels like everyone's got a podcast. Like literally every single celebrity you can imagine has a podcast. Um, but what's quite nice about the medium is that it really is a meritocracy still. You know, the really good shows are still the ones that do the best. And just because you're a famous person doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a successful podcast. I really hope that that podcasting stays an accessible place for people to kind of cut their teeth in terms of making media and content. Like everything, it's obviously going to evolve and, you know, big business is getting involved now, and, and which is great because it means that there's budgets and there's actual money to be made, which, which is obviously a good thing for anyone who's making a show. But um, it's a really interesting time for podcasting. There's a certainly a lot of money to be made. Um, but what's also great about it is that you can really dictate how monetized your show is and there is a real fluctuation between how profitable podcasts are in terms of ad revenue and things that, that really is dictated by the podcaster themselves. You can have no ads if you want. You can, be, you can be the biggest show in the world and choose to not monetize your show at all. Or you can be a tiny show and try and put loads of ads on it. And it, it really is up to the to the individual content maker, which I think is really interesting because no other media really works like that. Um, but yeah, my dad wrote porno isn't my full-time job and, and probably never will be my full-time job, mainly because I never had a full-time job before. So it would, be, it would feel weird to suddenly have one now. Uh, it's a piece of comedy that has kind of morphed into different mediums. Uh, so we've got a book, we've got a touring arm, we've got a TV arm. So it's kind of grown slowly but substantially over time but we've been very careful about what we've said yes to and why we've said yes to things and we've said no to so many things in fact we we filmed a whole tv pilot in the uk uh, about three years ago um that we kind of pulled out of because we just didn't think it really had any real reason for existing so we've been very careful about not ever doing things for the wrong reasons and making sure that whatever we do is building the brand and giving an audience something that they're not getting from anything else. I remember when we reached a million downloads 
that was a real moment of like, oh my God, a million people have downloaded the show. We're now at 200 million. Um, but that was still an incredibly emotional moment that we reached that milestone because we just didn't think that was even possible at the time. Our show at the Royal Albert Hall was a real moment. Um, it was a kind of culmination of the world tour. It was the last day on the world tour and all of our family and friends were there and Emma Thompson was there and it was a real moment of celebration for the show and for the brand that we'd kind of sold out the Royal Albert Hall. It was such a statement for a podcast, you know, to sell five and a half thousand tickets um, and be in such an iconic venue. That was a real moment. The HBO special, you know, uh, driving through LA and seeing your face on a massive billboard on Sunset Boulevard was a surreal moment and being going on Good Morning America in New York and that was a that really felt like we as a British podcast had kind of arrived in America and it was so great to fly the flag for British podcasting over there and for HBO to take such a risk on pornography three friends from England a podcast you know there were so many reasons why that show shouldn't have been commissioned by such a huge network in the States and the fact that they that they took such a chance on us and was so brilliantly supportive of us really gave us confidence in the show that we were making we obviously have a strategy for the show but we we try and keep it as immediate as possible so at the minute we're in the middle of season five I want to make that the best season ever and it takes a lot of work to make a good podcast I think you can spread yourself too thinly sometimes and end up making everything a little bit half-assed so I want to make sure that we're doing the best show and the best tour possible before we get too carried away with our next project so we are starting to write the My Dad Wrote a Porno musical uh, next year which is really exciting um and it's going to be such an extraordinary <laughs> exploration. Uh, we had Lin-Manuel Miranda on the show talking about what he thought the musical could be. Josh Groban's talked about what the musical could be. Um, so we're really excited to kind of properly start to, to write that. Yeah. You just trust your instincts creatively. I think that's all you can do. And, you know, sometimes they're wrong. But I think at least if you fail you'll be failing on your own terms. I think too often, you know, people get too bogged down in what they think they should make or how it should be perceived or what an audience wants and you end up making a show up, you know, by committee and, and that's just the worst way to make anything. When you think of the show, it, it just shouldn't work on any level. You know, it's 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 about pornography. How it's the biggest podcast in British history is insane to me because how? It's, it's the most unlikely show to be a universal hit. But I think what it does is, is it really touched on so many universal themes. It's about friendship. It's about a father and son. It's about embarrassing dads. It's about awkward sex. It's, it's about so many things that, that are universal. And it's kind of told in such a, an authentic way that I think it's very easy for people to, to kind of dip in and feel like they're listening to three friends. That was always what we wanted to do in terms of the tone of the show. We always said, if it can feel like 
the listener is the fourth friend around the table with us, then we'd be doing our job. And I think the success of the show has kind of been really nice for us, particularly because we feel like we've really delivered on that mission statement that we had when we were first talking about what the show could be and how it could feel. I'm Jamie Morton, creator of My Dad Wrote a Porno, and you're listening to Frontiers, a podcast by The Upside. The Upside is an innovation studio that partners with the world's leading brands, helping them navigate frontiers at the intersection of culture, commerce, and creativity. Find out more at theupside.net. And if you liked the episode, why not subscribe or tell a friend?